Lord, um, what we're going to talk about this morning, perhaps it will challenge um, our tendency to not work for you. It will perhaps be a source of guilt. But Lord, we pray that may we not remain in shame. May these words, the purpose of these words is not to shame us, but to really live life the way life is supposed to be designed to. May may your Holy Spirit work in us so that May, you, may, he, may your spirit awaken us from the tendency to be lazy and complacent. And may you fill our hearts with proper desire to, to work for you as we become more mindful of the work of Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us understand this morning. All this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, a little bit of warning here this morning. Um, I'm a nicer PJ, right? So, before I would just say, oh, direct things directly. And, you know, I, 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 I will try to present it in a more nicer way. But there will be a few points of the sermon that will challenge us. It will reveal certain things about our nature. Um, and it will not perhaps make us feel comfortable. But as a warning, it is not to shame you. We do not preach the word of God to shame anyone. But if you feel guilt or even shame, the purpose, is not for, the purpose of God is not to make you feel horrible about yourself, but to repent and live a life that is more consistent with his will. So a little bit of forewarning of what is to come. Okay, let's go. So we are studying the last, last chapter in 1 Corinthians, chapter 16 specifically. And as we talked about last week, Paul's instruction to the Corinthians in chapter 16 is he's instructing them how they ought to live in the, rea- in the light of the reality of the resurrection that is to come. Paul is saying there is a new world coming, a new life coming, right? And that new world, a new life, is not as far away as you think it is. It is very close. Either the Lord will return in a moment, or we will go be with him. Regardless of what happens, the new world, the new life is coming. So the question is, how are we to live this short life that we have in this life, in this world? Last week, Paul says, give. Be generous with your money. Give. Right? In our brief time, be generous. Specifically, be generous to to the fellow saints in the world, to the brothers and sisters throughout the world. Be generous. Today's chapter, today's verses, he's saying, in the light of the new world, new life coming, not only do you give, but work, labor for the Lord. I'm a 
I'm a, I've come from a long line of generation. I'm, 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 I come from a long line of people, of hardworking men, right? Man, man, do my ancestors worked hard. Maybe like, much like your ancestors, right? Like the other day, my dad asked me, how many hours, my, my dad always asked me this question, how many hours do you sleep, right? And sometimes I go, I sleep five hours. And my dad's answer is, that's enough. My dad asked me the other day, how, how, much, how, how much do you work? And I said, maybe 14, 15 hours a day. And my dad's answer was, that sounds about right. You know what I mean? Jeepers, you can't get a break with this guy. You know what I mean? So like, like working hard is, I think, part of my DNA. And my son inherited that, right? He works long hours for his whatever. Straight as a UVA. Yeah, he's so proud of him, right? And so I'm naturally attracted to like, hard workers. Right? And even the YouTube channels that I, I don't follow, but I often visit, there are two, two dudes that I frequently visit at YouTube. One guy is this real estate guy in New York, right? And he said he works 100 hours to build his empire, right? He works from 4 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night every day. And there's another guy in New York, a Korean guy, right? A dentist. He works 100 hours a week to build his own dental practice. And I'm just amazed of how hard those guys work, right? To build, they work so hard to build their kingdom in this world. If they're working so hard to build their kingdom in this world, how much should we labor to build his kingdom in this world? We should labor. We should work. Perhaps one of the main reasons why we don't work hard for the Lord is because maybe we're victims of bad theology. Maybe we're used to, you know, listening. We grew up listening to the message that God's grace is free, right? And it is. Absolutely. We're only saved, right, through the generous... We're only saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to make us ourselves right before the eyes of God. That's true. But the dangerous part of listening to free grace, as true as that is, we think if God's grace is free, then, and if I'm forgiven, and I'm a child of God anyway, because I believe in Jesus, then we tend to think that if, if I'm a child of God because of free grace in Jesus Christ, then it doesn't really matter how I live in this world. I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven anyway. Therefore, this world is just a waiting room before I go to heaven. And therefore, I can live however I want. I can do with my time and money as, as how I want. And God's not going to keep me accountable on how I spent my time in this world. That is not true. It's true the mercy and saving work of God is free, and there's nothing we can add to that. But it's also true that God is going to hold us in account of how we lived in this life. Christians, non-Christians, everybody, has to be, will be held accountable 
to what they have done, how they have worked in this world. There's multiple Bible verses in the New Testament that, tells, that, that attest to this. But let's study one verse in 1 Corinthians. Since we're studying 1 Corinthians, let's study 1 Corinthians. Hit it, June, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Let's read. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, next verse, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, which is a judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Next verse. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And, then, and after that, right, and after that verse, it's a, in verse 15, it says, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what Paul is saying, teaching in these verses is this. On the judgment day, everything that we have worked for in this world will be burned through, will be burned, will be taken and will be taken, will, will, put, will be put inside a fire. And any work that has not been done in the name of the Lord, any work that has not been built on the foundation of who God is and for His glory, any work that has, been not, that has not been done for the sake of His glory, it will be burned up. And you will see that you have lived this life in vain. Paul says, you may be saved, but you will have nothing to show for what you have done in this life. On the opposite, if your work is burned, and if your work has been done for the glory of the Lord, for the sake of His kingdom, your work will survive the fire test, and you will be rewarded. Salvation is free gift. But the reward we will get in eternity, the crown of glory we will get in eternity, will depend on how, how, what kind of work we have done in His name in this world. You are not saved by works. That's true. I am not saved by works. But if you are saved, you are saved to work. Do you understand the, the, the difference? Do you understand? You are not saved by works. No, you are saved to do good works. We are called to do work. Jesus calls his disciples servants. If you are a Christian, you are a servant. And what is the duty of a servant? The servant works for his master. Are you working for the Lord? Are you a servant of the Lord in your corporate jobs? Are you a servant of the Lord in your families? Are you servant of the Lord in embrace? Are you living a life of service for His sake? The way Jesus will measure your life and mine, is not, He will not measure by how successful we were. 
He's not going to measure my life in terms of how many converts I got. How big our church is. He's going to measure my life in terms of how faithful I have lived for him. The success, the people, the growth, that's up to him. That's none of my business. Right? The visible things of my life, like how big our church will become, how big our budget is, frankly, that's none of my business. That's up to the Lord. He will measure how faithful I've lived. The parable of the ten talents. parable of the talents, Jesus makes it clear. What matters is faithfulness. If you are not living faithfully for the Lord, this is the first, time, first part of being offensive. Here we go. If you do not live faithfully for the Lord, the Lord will call you a lazy, worthless servant. He will look at your works and he will judge. Are you faithful? In your labor, are you faithful? It's not easy. It isn't. It isn't easy being a servant of the Lord. It's not easy being a servant. Look, my job as a lawyer more than anything else, I'm a servant, right? I answer to people. I, I work for people's lives. I, I answer to people. There's no posh glory to my work as a lawyer. There, there really isn't. And you doctors will know the same thing. It, there isn't a glory. I don't, look, I don't work so that people will look at me as some, someone special. That's not what my everyday life is. I'm a bare-bone servant for my clients. I am. They come, email me, ask me questions day and night. I'm a bare bone servant to my church. It's not bragging, but wee hours of the night that I labor and toil. I'm a bare bone servant for my family. I give my life for the service of the Lord. And I'm really thankful that I get to live this way. I'm not bragging. I think I can live this way because God has placed me, God has placed me of where I am. And by His grace, He's letting me live for Him. If it were up to me, I would be golfing somewhere in a country club right now but I get to labor for him. Are you laboring for him? I'm going through midlife crisis, right? I am. My, I'm turning 50 this year, and I'm going through midlife crisis. And midlife crisis, you know, people, go, men go through differently. And like Pastor Ujin, when I told Pastor Ujin I was going to midlife crisis, he says, like, do you feel that your, li- your life is meaningless, that you labored in vain? And I said, nope. That's not me. My midlife crisis, is, it comes in another form. But by his grace, I think my life is not in, I have not labored in vain. He 
He places you in different places. He placed me in different places so that you will labor for him. Billy Graham's wife, it says, right? She, she was, because Billy Graham was, you know, out evangelizing the world, she stayed home to take care of the kids, right? And you would think it's Billy Graham who's doing the word of, like, work of God because he's going through all the, all the country to preach. But in Billy Graham's kitchen, by the sink, there's a little saying that his wife put, and the saying goes like this. He says, divine service will be conducted here in the kitchen three times a day. She's saying, me feeding and cleaning after my kids in this kitchen is divine service, is the work of God. And that is true. It is not just Billy Graham's work out preaching that's the Lord's work. His wife staying and taking care of the kids, that's divine work. Is your earnest and young job divine work? Is your teaching job, teachers, is it divine work? You're working in the hospital, is it divine service to the king? Are you laboring for him? Man, the beginning took, we're just in the beginning, it's taking long. So let's attack, not attack, let's go through these verses. Paul is instructing the Corinthians. Like it, I, I, on his face, like these like six verses that we read, it doesn't seem to be really relevant to us. But if you look, if you study these verses in detail, you will see Paul is giving the Corinthians and us practical considerations, what we need to be thinking of as we work for the Lord. So these are some of the things that we need to be mindful of as we work for the Lord. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 5, Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. Verse 5, okay, Paul's saying he's going through Macedonia and he wants to visit the Corinthians. What's, what's the relevant, what's, how is this relevant to me? This verse, and verse 8, right? But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, right? These ver- verse 5 and verse 8 shows us Paul's vision and strategy for ministry. These two verses show that when the Paul... When Paul, Paul's plan of his life, it's not accidental. He's very deliberate. He has a certain vision, a plan, a time frame in, 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 in how he wants to do the work of the Lord. For example, verse 8, he says he plans to visit Ephesus in Pentecost, which means he's planning to spend the spring in Ephesus. Verse 5, traveling through Macedonia. He's he's saying, in the spring he'll be in Ephesus. In the summer and autumn, he will plan to be in Macedonia. The Macedonia churches are the church of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. The letter to the Philippians and Thessalonians are written to these churches in Macedonia. So Paul is saying, in the spring, I'm going to be in Ephesus. 
in the summer and autumn, I plan to be in Macedonia. And in the winter, I plan to be with you in Corinth. Paul has a specific vision of how he wants to live that year, right? Paul is very strategic about how he does his ministry. You know how Paul does his ministry? If you you look at Acts, it's very similar. He goes to a new city, and in the morning, in the afternoons, he spends in public squares, whether it is the idol temples or the market. He goes where the unbelievers are. And in the morning and in the afternoon time, he, he reasons with the unbelievers, and he preaches the gospel to them. In the evening, he goes to the churches and he teaches the fellow Christians like the word of God so he can disciple them. So in the morning and afternoons, he, he's, he's preaching to the unbelievers. In the evening time, he's discipling the Christians. And if he doesn't have, if he doesn't have any money, right, he spends all night building tents. That's, the stra- that's Paul's strategy. He doesn't get up and say, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to do today. No, 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 no. Paul is very deliberate and strategic about how he wants to work for the Lord. The principle that we can get from this verse is this. When you're doing the work of the Lord, it has to be done with the intent of, do, of, of, of working for the Lord. Every morning, you need to get up with the intent of working for the Lord. And number two, you need to be very strategic about it, how you do the work of the Lord. Another offensive thing that I'm going to say right now. Here we go. Praise yourself. Many of us, right, want to give God our leftover time. We want to give God the leftover time when we are not working in our, in, our, in our regular jobs. We want to give, devote ourselves to the work of the Lord in the leftover time when we don't have better things to do. When we have better things to do, forget the work of the Lord. I'm going to do that. When I have more interesting things to do and interesting things to watch, I'm going to do that. But if there's nothing more interesting going on, yeah, I'll devote my, I'll give my time to the Lord. I will give my leftover time to the Lord if I am not tired. If I'm tired, if I had a rough week, I'm not going to devote my life, my time to the Lord because resting is more important. We give the Lord leftovers. And I'm not saying this to hurt you. But I'm saying giving the Lord leftovers is contrary to the work, how he wants us to live. He doesn't want us, he doesn't want his work to be an afterthought when we are not tired, when we are not working, when we have, when we have nothing more interesting to do. That's not how it is. You need to work for the Lord with the intent that every day you serve the king.
Are you, do you have that intent? To work for the king? Or are you comfortable with the after hours? Look, I know what it means to be tired. Trust me when I say to you, I know what it means to be tired. But are you tired working for the Lord? We need to work with intent. Oh, I went to the Burke Small Group this Friday. Oh, what lovely group of people the Burke Small Group are is. Oh, Burke Small Group, I love you. I love you. And one of the many things that we say, I mean, I love all small groups equally, right? You're all my children. I love you equally. But Burke Small Group, you have a, yeah, you're, you're good, man, right? And during the, time of, during the time of the Bible study, there were a couple of people, right, during prayer time, during sharing prayer time, one of the guys said, this week I want to be more intentional about say, sharing my faith to my coworkers." He says, I haven't shared my faith with my coworkers, but this week I have specific people in mind that I want to share my faith with. There's another sister in that group. She says, I'm more intentional now, reaching out to the new recruits of my team. I want to take care of them. They are working in their corporate gigs with the intent of working for the Lord. Do you have intent to work for the Lord? You not only need to have intent, you need to have strategy. Paul's ministry was very strategic. Where he wanted to go was very strategic. What he wanted to do in each city was very strategic. You not only need the intent, but you need to have wisdom. You need to strategize. But the only way that you have that strategy and wisdom to do the Lord's work is through prayer. My prayer this week, last week, was heading toward a certain direction. And I realized that I got to reach out to my, my kids more. Right? I had to reach out to my children more. On Monday, I had this feeling that I need to do it more. But I told the Lord, I have no idea how to do it. I have no idea how to do it. I can preach to you guys, no problem. But how do I reach out to my, my, my teenage daughter? How do I reach out to my wife? I don't know. But you pray. And I ask God to give me wisdom. And he's giving me wisdom. You not only need intent, but you need to strategize. But the strategy comes from God. James says, if you lack heavenly wisdom, Ask for it, and God's going to give it to you. And that's really true. Ask God to help you strategize of reaching out to your coworkers, to your family, and to the members of this church.
verse 6. So the first, first, first application from verse 5 is you need to have an intent and godly strategy to do the work of the Lord. Verse 6, and perhaps Paul said, I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Verse 6, when Paul says, I want to spend winter with you so that you may help me on my journey. The help me on my journey, I think it means financial support. Paul is doing missionary work. He needs financial support. So he wants to spend some time in Corinthians, not only because he loves them and he wants to teach them, but also because he needs the Corinthians' help to do the ministry. Verse 6 teaches us, Ministry is a communal calling. Missions, ministry is a communal calling, is where everyone, every Christian contributes to the mission of God. Embrace is not a platform of PJ sermon. We do not exist so that I can preach to you. We exist so that through the teaching, you will be equipped to do, to, to do the Lord's work. Let's go. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Hit it, John. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Next verse. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What is Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 4? The reason why God has given you pastors and teachers is not so that they will be the primary workers of the church. No, 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 no. The duties of the pastor and the teachers, my work, is so that by preaching to you, I will equip you to do the Lord's work. Ministry is not done by a handful of professionals. It is done by the community of believers. Embrace cannot exist, cannot function, cannot have life generating within it if, all the, if only the work is done by a handful of people. Every single one of you, if you are a Christian, God has equipped you with the spiritual gifts I don't know what your spiritual gifts are. Some of you is teaching. Some of you is hospitality. Some of you is a gift of service. I do not know. But what is clear is that the reason why God has given your gifts is so that you will serve the body in its mission. We cannot function without your exercising of your spiritual gifts. And guess what? You will not mature in your faith unless you use your spiritual gifts. If you are just constantly fed the word and are not expending your energy in the exercising of your gifts for the service of the church, you will be an overfed baby. That's what the Bible says. The reason why you consume the Word of God it is so that you will be prepared for the works of service. 
to quote the Burke Small Group. This is not from me, it's from the Burke Small Group, right? So if you have any problem with what I have to say, contact Daniel Chung and Alan Kim, right? This is what they say, right? Oh, they were hard. He says, we should not just be content with consuming, right? We should give. But we shouldn't just be content with giving. We should participate in the life of the church. Oh, Burke Smogov, I love you. Don't be satisfied with just being consuming, consuming truth. Give. Just don't be satisfied with giving. Participate in the life of the church. Ask God, who do you want me to reach out to? And how do you want me to reach out to? I don't know. A brother was sharing in the Brooks Small Group. Like he received a text from a fellow Christian, a fellow brother in, in the church. And he said that text receiving from, sent by that brother, it really encouraged him that last week. The ding text sound you read, it encourages the soul. There are people that God wants you to reach out to in this church. Who is it? I don't know. Ask the Lord. Exercise your gift. Stop just consuming. Participate in the life of the church, in the life of your dear brothers and sisters in the church. Ministry is a communal thing. It is not just job of good old PJ here or Pastor Ujin. It's your work too. What are we paying you for? I don't know. Because I labor for the gospel and gospel. A worker is worth his wages, the Bible says. Maybe that's why. You paying me doesn't mean that I get to do all the work. That's not how God designed it. You are called to do the work of the Lord in this church. Verse 7. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Once again, Paul is very strategic in how he wants to do the ministry. Right? He wants to spend summer, like springtime in Ephesus, summer in, summer and autumn in Macedonia, and winter in Corinth. That's his, his plan. But verse 7, Paul also says, I can only do this if the Lord permits. Doing the labor of the Lord means that you are also mindful of the fact that he is sovereign, and the fact that he is sovereign means your work will be dependent upon his timing, and his plan, and his fruit. Paul says to the Corinthians, I came to plant, Apollos came to water, right? Paul says, my job was just to plant the seed. Apollos came in and made the church grow. But whether whether you're a planter, or whether you're a waterer, whether you're a harvester, it's the Lord who controls all the work, and that's true. Even though Paul wants to come to Corinth, according to the time schedule, he also knows that it's up to the Lord to do it. 
Paul knows firsthand what it means for God to close the door. Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 10. Paul says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So Paul was traveling through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. But Paul says the Holy Spirit stopped them from doing ministry in the region. He wanted to go there, but the Holy Spirit says, nope, and he closed that door. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus will not allow them to enter. So they wanted to go to, they wanted to, go to Pergia and Galatia. Holy Spirit said, nope, close that door. Then they go, okay, what do we do? Then let's go to Mystia. And when they try to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit says, nope, that, that door is closed too. Paul is mindful of the fact that God says no a lot sometimes. Even though you will do the work of the Lord, you need to be mindful of the fact that He's the one in control. Maybe your work of the Lord, maybe you reach out to a brother and that brother just gives you the cold shoulder. It doesn't mean that your attempt to reach out to the brother is in vain. The Lord controls the timing and the fruit of our labor. That's His business. All He's calling us to do is to be faithful. He's not asking you to be successful. He's not asking me to be successful. To be honest with you, I have no idea how big we'll be. Maybe after COVID, all of you will leave. I don't know. But that's not my business, you know? My business is to faithfully teach what God has told me to teach. When we do the work of the Lord, we need to be mindful that we're operating under God's schedule, God's plan, God's timing. Didn't I tell you about the story of that one missionary guy? He went to Yale, right? Like in the early 1900s, he went to Yale, right? He was like a hair of a milk dynasty, evidently. His family sold milk, and I guess milk was a big deal in the early 20th century or something, and he was rich. He was, he was going to inherit the milk fortune. But in Princeton, he felt God's calling him to go to China. So he quit his business major, started studying Chinese at Princeton, and because he knew he wasn't going, coming back to the U.S., he gave away all his milk money inheritance. So he, he said goodbye to his business degree, studied Chinese, which wasn't really popular in the early 20th century. He gave away his milk fortune, got on a boat to go to China for missions work. Years of preparation, years of sacrifice, he gave it all. And he was in that boat to China. But in the boat, he contracted a disease and he died in the boat. That young man gave everything for the Lord's work in China, but he died even before he can set a foot in China. Is that a waste? His last words were, I have no regret. Because the sacrifice was the Lord's work. The Lord chose him not to send him to China. 
Whether he set foot in that continent or not, that's not the issue. The issue is he was faithful to the Lord's calling. You need to be mindful of the sovereignty and the timing of God, and that's true. But be faithful. We're making good time here. Verse 9. Verse, uh, verse 8 and 9. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul is saying, I'm going to spend the springtime in Ephesus because there is a great door of opportunity open to me for the gospel. But he also says, Ephesus is where his enemies are. Ephesus, it's, just, it's a crazy city. It's a city just corrupted with money and promiscuity. The leading idol of that city is Diana. And she was a god of promiscuity. The whole city was run by Diana worshippers. It was just this demonic city full of hostile men and women. Paul was going to go there and maybe perhaps die because there were so many people in that city that wanted to kill him. His flesh will tell him, don't go there, that's dangerous. It's not, an, it's not a good place to do ministry because there's so many disruptions and adversaries there. But rather than looking at the city only through the lens of comfort and security, Paul looked at that city as a place of opportunity. What's the principle we get from th these verses? When God calls you, oftentimes he calls you to a place or even a church that will not be agreeable to your flesh. Right? Maybe he'll call you to a job where it's not agreeable to your flesh. Maybe you have a crazy boss. This notion that if you pray, God's going to take you into a comfortable place. Sometimes that's true, but oftentimes it's not. When God calls you to a place, oftentimes it's a place of stress and adversaries. And a place, where it, a place where it does not meet your satisfaction. A group of people where, it, where you think it's below your standard. God has called you to that place. Because it is a place of opportunity. It's very difficult getting seminary students to churches these days, to small churches these days. You know why? Because every seminary, seminarian thinks that they're Tim Keller. They want to go to a city. They want to go to a church of 500 plus people, health insurance, right? Like they want to go to a place to serve white collar people who are educated. They don't want to come here in Fairfax Station, Virginia.
They want to go to a place where it's more befitting for them. They're looking for places. They're not looking for opportunities. They're not, they're not seeing this entire field of the Lord's opportunity for the gospel. For rather, they want to go to a city where they, it's more pleasant for them. For them. It's not just the seminarians. It's a lot of us too, isn't it? You want to quit your job because it's not pleasant for you. And yet you do not ask what the Lord's opportunity in that place of job is. You want to leave a church. Maybe you want to leave us. Because maybe we don't have the children's ministry that you like or the youth group that you like, or maybe my sermons are too long, or, or me. I want, to go to, I want to go to a place that's more fitting for me. There are many reasons to leave a church, I suppose. But have you ever thought about, maybe the Lord wants you to stay, to serve Him, Maybe embrace is an opportunity for your serving the Lord. How about small groups? Oh, this is, going to be, this is going to be really real. When I'm saying this, I'm not thinking of anyone in mind. It's just a general thing. So don't, I'm not talking about you, right? It's not about you. But let's be honest. Maybe we don't go to small group because we, don't, we either don't like the leader of the small group I don't, know, I, I don't know why you wouldn't, because all our leaders are lovely. Maybe, I don't know, like, whatever reason is that you don't want to serve in that particular small group. But have you ever thought about the fact the small group is not just a place where you get fed, as important as that is, but it's also a place to serve? Are you mindful of the opportunity of service? Maybe it's not the type of people that you want to hang out with. Maybe they're not. Oh, I'm getting mad. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Emily. But the principle that we get here is don't just analyze things based upon what they look like on the outside. Consider the opportunity that the Lord is calling you to. This is kind of related to the last verse, and I can't believe I actually finished this chapter. He says, When Timothy comes, come, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. See, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace. Paul is certainly telling the Corinthians, I'm going to send you Timothy. And when Timothy comes to you, be nice to him, because he's scared of death of you all. Why is Timothy so scared of Corinthians? Because Corinthians are scary. And not only that, Timothy is young. Hello, I'm Timothy. I just graduated from seminary. Timothy is young. And Timothy is timid. He doesn't have Paul's charisma or Apollos' charm. Paul is this timid, young, I don't know, like a stage fright type of guy. 
And the Corinthians were these super spiritually gifted right people. Paul says, yo, put Timothy at ease. Help him. Even though he may not be much to look at on the outside, you must be nice to him. You must serve him. Why? Because he's doing the work of the Lord. Once again, the principle is, it doesn't matter what that person or that situation looks like on the outside. What matters is doing the work of the Lord. Are you doing the work of the Lord? Consumer Christianity says, I will go to a church that is befitting for me, and there I will do the work of the Lord. That's not the principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Regardless of what the place looks like, the question is, there's a work to be done in that place. Are you doing it? Are you working for the Lord? Consider his calling in your life. He's calling all of us to the ministry. Every single Christian is not exempt from the work of the ministry. Are you part of this ministry? And I'm not just saying what you do on Sunday mornings. As much as I appreciate the audiovisual squad and as appreciate the praise team, those functions are not, it's not the only calling God has called you to. But to the people of God, He's also calling you and me to evangelize in our place of work. Are you looking at your life through the lens of missions? If not, ask the Lord for new eyes, new priorities, a new sense of mission. Let us pray for these things. Let's take a brief moment and just kind of reflect what was spoke, what was taught. Are you looking at your life as a ministry? Your life is a ministry. Or are you looking at your life where you're content in giving God the leftovers? Are you a leftover Christian, Christian and, or, or are you a builder of God's kingdom? We are, all of us are called to be builders of God's kingdom in the short life we have in this world. Ask the Lord for grace and mercy so that you will spend your life in the ministry of the Lord's work. Let us pray. Lord, we are, it's very true that we are recipients of your grace and mercy. There's nothing that we have done to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right in your eyes. That's true. The only way that we can turn away from our delusional, crazy, insane thoughts and actions and emotions 
It is to be saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And that saving work comes from your grace and mercy. We cannot accept you in faith without you working in our hearts. We are recipients of your love, forgiveness, and sonship. But you are not just called us to be receivers but also expend, of people of, expend, of, of expend, expenditure. You have not only saved, you have saved, we are saved, we are saved from work. We are, saved, we are not saved by works, but we are saved to work. Father, maybe perhaps we have a very odd, unbiblical, perhaps wicked view of our lives here. Maybe some of us are just content with giving you the leftovers. Maybe we just want things from you all the time and not, are not very interested in, in expending our lives for you. That is a natural set of our hearts because we're born fallen. But we pray that may you work in us so that we will begin to see ourselves primarily as sons of God who are called to work for you. It is by your grace and mercy that you have placed us in different fields of life. You have placed us with different groups of people, and you have placed us in embrace where we can serve you by serving each other. May we not think too lightly of our calling, but Father, may you give us the burden, the desire to love you by loving the, the brothers and sisters of this church. Forgive us for being so dis, discontent with our church. Maybe the, our church is not what we want it to be. But more important than what, our, what we think the church ought to be is what our calling is. Help us to look beyond what we, help us to look beyond our, what our demands for the church is supposed to be and help us to serve the church. Help us look at the church as a place of opportunity to do ministry. Father, we pray that you'll minister to all of us who are suffering. Some of us are suffering because we have lost parents. In the deep and dark turmoil, Lord, only you can understand, for you have lost your son. We pray that you will comfort those who are mourning over lost loved ones. Comfort them like only your spirit can comfort them. We pray for healing for those, those of us with family members who are sick. We pray for their recovery. We pray for the doctors. We pray for the medical advancements that will able to heal our loved ones. But most importantly, help our loved ones to understand the reason why they have extend, that you have extended their, their lives here. It is so that they will hear the gospel. <clears throat> And know that, that you're true. Father, we, we pray that all of us this week will work effectively for you, for your kingdom's sake. All this, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.